everybody. Time for another uh, episode of uh, Just Deep Enough with Tracy and Josh. How's it going, Tracy? It's going. It is going. You're getting ready for tango. Put yeah. on your tango shirt. That's what I'm doing. I got this nice little tango shirt. It's got some taggers on it. What are I'm you? wearing shorts and tank tops to tango. That's cool. Where's my slippers? I don't know. You mean your which slippers? My red ones that match my toenails. Oh. Those are slippers, honey. Those are um, like sandals. Okay. Sandals. We have matching toenails. We both went to the to the uh, Manny Petty place today yeah. and got matching toenails. You see, Tracy and I have this interesting sort of uh, matching sort of uh, reverse direction parallel happening in our lives where we're about to go dancing tango. Um, I've been dancing for a few years and Tracy's picking it up and um, Tracy has been a counselor for decades and yeah I, decades decades and I'm, I'm old is that is a decades an old thing well if you can do a thing for decades then you're old okay. yeah all right pretty much well but that's cool anyway here I am I'm just starting out with a counseling degree so we thought one of the themes for this podcast could be like in a relationship when when one partner is learning something and the other one is already kind of good at it or really good at it depending on what you want to do you find yourselves like having a uh, a parallel and opposite direction acquisition of skills that we share with each other in the course of our interactions that's kind of the theme for the show right Trey Trey yeah that was Josh opening up a Coke Zero, which doesn't... What is a Coke Zero? I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. Coke Zeros are weird. Okay, but that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Coke Zero is not going to sponsor us now. They might if we're just deep we enough. We said their name two times. That's okay. I'll send them an email. Okay. We'll find out. All right. All right. So, Josh, so, which, so, we, so what do you want to start with? Like, we're on our way to Tango. And I am, as I pointed out, going to wear shorts and a tank top. You're wearing more fancier tank. Well, you're dressed up a little bit extra, a little bit more, wearing clothes that I actually bought for you, though, mm-hmm. let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're cute. Yeah. Oh, I didn't shave. Do I look okay? Yeah. You don't have to, just don't rub your face on people. I know, but all right. No, yeah, you look good. You look good. Okay. Relax, man. Yeah. One of the key pieces to learning something successfully is to get the capacity to relax. Mm. Tracy was telling me that one of the things that most starting out counselors struggle with is um, learning to confront people and that the process of learning to confront people, and this isn't being combative, and this is talking about counseling, is to be confronted oneself. So I'm establishing some parallels here, like a dyad relationship that might be in a client-counselor situation. And we have another dyad situation that is in the partner-dancing situation. Right. Those would, are parallels. You're drawing some nice correlations, dude. Would you say there's aspects of confrontation that occur in both scenarios? And do they have any similarity, mm. perhaps? Well, yeah. And quickly, I'll define the terms, what I mean by confrontation. Please, yes. So confrontation as a therapist basically means to me how I mean it is if somebody is off on a particular way of thinking that they've kind of dug their heels in but I can see how it is a way of thinking that is causing them some problems and they're kind of unaware of it I'll be like hey you know what I'm noticing this way that you're doing this thing is kind of not working and sometimes and and it might be in a variety of different levels of I mean, it's always gentle because my goal is not to like catch people messing up or something. Mm-hmm. It's it's just to go, hey, that thing you're doing, it's in your way and it's not working. And um, here's this other alternative thing, or it's not working toward your goal. Mm-hmm. Like people have a goal and they have behaviors, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't notice how the behavior that they have is interfering with their goal. And so I, as an objective observer who is not in the middle of their life, can go, hey, I noticed this thing. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of confrontation I mean. And then in terms of tango, what do I mean? What do we mean by confrontation? Before we go there, the other oh, question right I have is that the 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 new counselor, the challenge mm-hmm. that they have mm-hmm. with the variety of confrontation that you just described is the beneficial therapeutic confrontation. What what is it that a, a new counselor struggles with? You we talked about this last night and you, you said it really well and you said it in in a way that was like like you had this knowing, nodding look on your face, like you're you probably won't get this or it was something about that. <laughs> it, it had, I was I was being super I was being like clever yeah. with myself. Yeah. Okay, well, all right. I, I think what I did you asked, well, like what is it that prevents counselors for or what, is it, what does a counselor, a starting counselor, have to do to yeah. overcome their resistance right. to confrontation? Right. And I, and I said that the way that a person becomes comfortable with giving confrontation or confronting mm-hmm. issues in another, for another person for another person is to have been confronted themselves mm-hmm. and to learn that in con- being confronted. Being in being confronted on error on ways that aren't working for you, mm-hmm. or even attitudes that might be kind of toxic to yourself or to other people, mm-hmm. that it's a gut punch. It doesn't feel good, but you learn how to accommodate it, overcome it, and then get on the other side to actually make a different decision and get a better result. So, if if a person hasn't ever been confronted or hasn't mm-hmm. ever tolerated being confronted, mm-hmm. they're not going to want to confront anybody else mm-hmm. because they're going to be afraid of hurting that person and they don't have any of their own lived experience that being confronted is not only tolerable but beneficial, mm-hmm. potentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah, we don't want to call, you know, do a thing that could hurt another person and if you don't think that you could survive a confrontation you're not yeah. going to confront anybody else unless you're a jerk but right. presumably therapists and clients in in a relationship with yeah for therapeutic purposes are not being jerks to each other ideally that, that last bit was the part that really sunk in if if you don't think that you have the capacity to survive the confrontation if confrontation for me feels threatening then I, because I do care about my client, if I'm feeling a threat for that, I'm not going to be willing to use that kind of relationship with them. Right. And then we end up just like listening to people. I mean, if you don't ever confront a thing, you know, help a person to see and confronting, you're not confronting the person as much as you're confronting the, an idea that isn't working. Mm -hmm. Um, Tabby, Tabby Taverton wants back in if you want to let her back in. Yeah. Thank you. Peppy Tuberton is our cat. And she is very popular with the neighborhood children. They like, are kind of like, can Tabby come out to play? Um, all right. So that, I think, lays the, the groundwork. And let's, for the, the nature of a skill that is important for a beginner or for an expert to have, but is difficult for a beginner to learn until they have done some work that gives them the courage to, I don't know, interact with a person they care about in a way that is helpful to them, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and since tango is more your world, mm-hmm. um, yeah. can you generalize it back to tango in the reverse? I think I, I think I can. Um, you know, the, the person who has, um, more experienced dancing tango who has done it a while and kind of knows some of the the ways of being skillful and caring in the partnership um, is is also in in a place where they are gently confronting a person in the same way that they are not trying to control the person they're actually trying to control the shared movement of a couple you know so I think what happens... Rather than control it, can we say influence it? Influence it. Because that's one thing, as a therapist, I like to talk about, is like for myself toward clients and clients toward their lives, Mm -hmm. people talk about the word, you know, they don't want to be controlling, and people are always Mm -hmm. afraid of being controlling and things like that. But and Or they want to control things, you know. I always Mm -hmm. joke when people say, I don't want to be controlling. And I said, 
Well, I would say, sure you do. If you could mm -hmm. do it, you would. But it's mm -hmm. not possible. We can't control people. Mm -hmm. But we can influence them. Uh, but And that means say, hey, this is a thing that could mm -hmm. work if you want to. But controlling mm -hmm. people, trying to control people, is crappy for the person trying to control them. It's not really healthy. Probably bad mm -hmm. for their karma. Mm -hmm. And it is yucky and toxic for the person who is mm -hmm. being subject to attempts at mm -hmm. control. Yeah. I think this does point to um, a useful direction in approaching tango. So many times the process of dancing, when there's a lead and follow relationship, there are questions of control, of sub submission, of suggestion versus demand, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there, there's parallels here. Um, the, the challenge, though, here is that, you know, when we were talking about confrontation and counselors, we were talking about you know, uh, a counselor who is new, gaining the skill to confront so they could be in that role of counseling. And I don't want to draw a parallel between the roles of lead and follow and counselor and client, or maybe I'm reluctant to do that for some reason. Mm, well, okay, or maybe a different way of looking at it, because I do try to be collaborative with clients yeah. rather as equals, but I am yeah. in the setting typically a person who has a specialty of knowledge, mm -hmm. right? But I am not, that does mm -hmm. not make me the leader of right. them. It just makes me, hey, I've got this, you, you're looking for a particular skill set I happen to have. Mm -hmm. And I can provide that mm -hmm. for you. But that we are, but I always am very clear that yeah. just because I have a specialized skill set, that doesn't make me, that's right. not, it doesn't create, I try to avoid ever having a, a mm -hmm. any kind of a, mm -hmm. um, hierarchical um, dynamic yeah you know but but then then they can generate back to tango we call them leads or follows but that doesn't that's just a that's just a particular um, task mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be I'm in charge and you're not as good right. as me right it's not right. that it's just no. a task and yeah. and often and really good dancers or people who are serious about it will switch and the yeah. men will follow and the women will lead yeah. sometimes it's not just a gender uh -huh. thing so I, I think we, if we allow ourselves, I, I actually am, after you saying that, am a little more comfortable with sort of, just for the sake of the discussion, thinking of there being like a guiding influence that is maybe analogous in some respects to the, the therapist role and that, that there is um, an, like, um, an encouraged initiative within the person who is in the client because really a good counselor or whatever wants the client to to do their own thing live their own life you heck know? yeah heck yeah and in the same way like a good lead or a partner wants the partner to dance their own dance they don't want a robot dancing with them you know mm. they want to feel someone who's alive and responsive and who is just engaged in the moment you know not someone who's dependent on the other person for creating a beautiful experience you know yeah 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 and i think um so it's an ethic i think there's an ethic in, that could be applied mm -hmm. in a, either scenario of course so there's yeah. clearly you know a overt and and more subtle ethics in therapy i have my mm -hmm. i have like general ethics and then i have my personal ethic of mm -hmm. you know of strength being strength based and focusing on people having deeper trying to mm -hmm. operate from a perspective of respect but also mm -hmm. respect enough to confront like to me confront confrontation implies mm -hmm. respect because i it's like hey i know that you don't i know that you're strong enough to make a shift on mm -hmm. this if you want to like mm -hmm. you if you think if you say that you want to do a certain thing and i can see a thing that's in your way and i point out that i i trust that you're strong enough to hear it yeah. now with regard to tango being the person in the position of follow is there. It requires a lot of strength to to be willing to follow without feeling s like submissive in a negative way. Mm -hmm. You know, in a one down way, requires mm -hmm. I think a lot of strength of of. It's like it's realizing I can follow and not lose who I am. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be in yeah. charge all the time in order to feel strong. Yeah. Plus, I'm not any good at leading. I'm not any good at following yet either. That's, that's, well, you know, I mean, I'm going to get better. I, that's, I set that goal. 
this is, you know, it leads me to consider this, this difference when, when learning a, the, the dance form, there's this need to learn how to control one's muscles, to position one's body, to do all these things that seem quote unquote mechanical. Um, mm. And that's one big piece of learning. Um, at the same time, though, the reality is there's all these other things going on, like feeling comfortable, feeling controlled, submissive. Those are all part of the reality of the experience, in addition to managing one's muscles, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's, um, it's a subtle dance, and I, I, I want to I, I learn it. It's been a, it, I think at some point we might even want to talk even a little bit more about how the reality of tango has been a plat a um an arena within which we have had to work through issues mm -hmm. it seems so silly if you just say whenever i think about how tango has been this has been the the arena with maybe maybe the main arena no not maybe for sure mm -hmm. the main arena where we've had to navigate conflicts mm -hmm. in one way or another it might be interesting to talk about yeah. it in some way because it's a weird uh -huh. thing why why tango yeah. why not cabbage rolls or something yeah. i don't know do you think that if i had been a really super avid tennis player soccer player golfer um cook mountaineer anything that wasn't a big part of your life that potentially it could have been just as much of an arena and or is tango have a special flavor when it comes to activity my partner does um i don't know if it has it, well i mean legend has it it has that quality for a lot of people in a lot of relationships so there is mm -hmm. that but then i think um um i think also not every single person has the same relationship to tango that you developed like you tango is has a sacred aspect to you that might not be every single person like i don't know if claire for instance our friend claire mm -hmm. would have had that same like she really likes it and she's yeah. good at it and she's taken it seriously yeah but i don't know that she I think, you know, there's things that, I mean, I have my peculiarities and my things right. that I get on soapboxes right. about, as you know. Yeah. I have things that I'm like chill about and things that I'm like, no, this is my soapbox. Do not, do not, do not question my opinion here yeah. a little bit. I'm like that about a few have things. Have we had an SGI themed podcast No, yet? but we need to. We and I, honestly, to. that's, that's one of the things I, in my, in my own podcast, which I haven't done a podcast in for ages and in this one too. I would like to, um, at some point, I think it's only fair Absolutely. to, to um, oh, because you're thinking about that's like SGI, I can be a little bit like Soapboxy, yeah. A little soapboxy. Yeah. Maybe so. I feel so very passionate about it. But yeah, that's, that's the, um, anyone who's followed me at all knows that I'm very open-minded about all religious and non-religious perspectives. But I do have a particular personal practice that is my preference, which is um, Nietzsche and Buddhism, which I've practiced for um, even longer than I've been a counselor, even more mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, and it does seem a little disingenuous for me to have never mentioned it. So I, that's something I want to remedy. Yeah. I feel like because it's mm -hmm. been so important to me and because I didn't want to be out about yeah. how important it is to yeah. me almost because I felt like my fear was that it would yeah. be make me seem biased. Yeah. And how about how about that? I'm going to interrupt you a little bit here but yes, only sir. because partially we've got to cut that go to tango. Is how about for the second part of this episode we will just jump straight to to that. To talk about 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 Nietzsche and Buddhism my fa as as I like to say my favorite Buddhism. Yeah, let's jump. Okay, let's sure, jump why not? We'll just jump straight to that. But we'll we'll touch back on this portion too. Undoubtedly, it'll be touched back. Now I'm Sweet. touching the pause. Okay, the, all right, all right. Part Let's... two to be continued. Okay. Bye. Okay, here we are. A little more of uh, Josh and Tracy, just deep enough here at live from the the Veterans Park. Veterans Park Beach. We've got dogs, we've got kids, we've got people. 
we've got river we've got all kinds of stuff happening here this is our outdoor appreciation show no that's not what it is what is it tracy um it's our what are you waiting for go to the river it's a monday night you worked hard get some lacroix and some uh sunscreen and and let some dogs roll around on your blankies yeah random dogs especially. that's what it's about random blanky dogs hey you want to know what my favorite thing to do is i'll tell you what my favorite thing to do is what we'll is get back it, to lacroix in a oh, second. Okay. i like to go out with a mask on and lay down in the water on my back looking up at the surface of the water and seeing the trees through the surface of the water as it ripples by you know like i'm a fish looking at the sky from underwater wow that's what i like to do do you know what else? What? You should put some more sunscreen on your head again. Or put my hat on. Well, that would also be good, yeah. One or the other, because yeah, your head, your head's getting all red. Okay. I think that's the cold water. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. That's that's fine. I just don't want you to get ouchy head. Thank you. See, we're we're a cute domestic couple. We're so cute. You said domestic, though. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Are we out in the wilderness? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You can't be domestic when you're in the wilderness. Because we're wild with our wild, delicious uh, lacroix that you could get for me. Yay! Oh, goody. This one is a limon, limoncello. Is that how you say that? And that basically means that there's a picture of a lemon on, on it. So when you drink it, you should think about lemons. And that's as lemony as it is. I've also heard that you should call them la croix. Is that true? Um, Oops, sorry about that. You can say LaCroix, you can say LaCroix, you can say LaCroix. LaCroix. Yeah. Let's call it LaCroix. There's quite a few La people. LaCroix, it's a LaCroix. So, here's a confession. I uh, used mm -hmm. your Amazon Prime discount to buy this LaCroix. I installed the app. I used your password. I oh, but you didn't lose, use my like my my credits. No, I did not use your. Credits. I, did you see my eyes get all like wide when I thought you meant <laughs> you'd use my credits? Because I have like thirty six dollars no, worth of credits on there right I now. I didn't. I did notice that you had the store still set to a Texas Whole Foods store in the app. That's um, awkward, isn't it? It was awkward. I really felt like wow, time traveling. Mm -hmm. so I used to live in Texas. Yeah. So, in our last exciting episode we were talking about we kind of left it a cliffhanger do you remember uh, that we did like 15 minutes and then we yeah. went off to tango yeah we did i mean we we had this idea of talking about a person being new at counseling and we talked about what learning how to be how to confront and what it meant to confront and then we we're trying to draw some kind of reverse parallel that had like me being um, a tango dancer having some experience of tango dancer and you being a beginner so we had this reverse beginner experience sort of comparison going on and I kind of felt like the the momentum of that conversation was petering out and we pointed towards the, maybe the need to discuss uh, Nietzsche and Buddhism and SGI yeah that's why I remember yeah it's a good that a summary good, yeah it's, yeah. more, it's more for our benefit than your benefit, listeners, because you would have just listened to the other segment. Assuming we even post it. Maybe we won't. We will. We oh, have to. We, duh, now we have to. Yeah, because we referred back to now, it. Because now it's the prequel. Yeah, that's the prequel. We'll, we'll release it Usually, later. Usually, yeah, you release the prequel after <laughs> afterwards. Nah, it, nah. It's oh, a pre-release prequel. Yeah, it's the trailer. Yeah. This, this is the trailer for the prequel, which is will be released later. Uh -huh. Okay. So yeah, so I don't know. I mean, ask me. You can have. You can ask me Buddhism questions, like about SGI stuff, okay. like as if you don't know about it, and then I'll talk about uh -huh. it. Um, let's see. So I'll ask you, like, from a personal perspective, like, um, I have a, a regular kind of sitting practice. I've gone to local Buddhist groups, you know, like these Tibetan folks sit meditate follow our breath or maybe do loving kindness stuff and let's say like oh i'm gonna try different buddhism like this nietzschean thing i know this cool person that does it i'm gonna go check it out what what should i keep in mind when i'm like switching gears and trying a new buddhism flavor 
<laughs> well, um, I'd say it's I'd say chanting because it's a chanting practice rather than a quiet practice. Uh -huh. Like it's not a quiet mind practice. It's a chanting practice, and the chant that we chant is Namioho Renge Kyo. Nam is short for Namu, which is actually a Sanskrit word, which means devotion to. And Myoho Renge Kyo is actually the um, kind of like the old Japanese pronunciation of the Lotus Sutra, of the title of the Lotus Sutra. So uh -huh. it's kind of it's a little bit of an amalgam. But anyway, um, Namioho Renge Kyo, and um, so it's a little different in that way, and also it's a lot more. Um, I think, um, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know what else I'll say about it. It's, it's, it's different in a few ways, but that's all I'll say mm -hmm. now. Ask me more questions. Um, so I, I won't pretend to be a, a naive interviewer, you know, since we've, I've chanted with you and you know gongyo you're gongyo, good at gongyo which some people have yeah. a little bit of a challenge yeah. gongyo is reciting the lotus sutra mm -hmm. um well um how about this there how do you feel about being involved like in the the infrastructure of the organization itself because mm -hmm. there on one hand there there is the practice and that's something that that's where people experience a benefit and a transformation but on the other hand like we were talking about um leadership structures what what is the structure that like what is the the sgi community like because i just i just know like these little meditation buddhist meditation groups and there's no overarching organization mm. so that that's one thing that's different for me it's because it, the sgi seems kind of like a church whereas i'm sort of like i go to meditation groups and practice meditation mm. but sgi is like it's the whole enchilada right right and and i know that some um sgi practitioner or, or nature and practitioners in the in the soka gakai which is sgi is short for soka gakai international um I know they'd be they would balk a little bit at the word church just to uh -huh. say but um but um because of the connotation you know sometimes but there's nothing wrong with that um it but it's like organizationally it's um organized at like the community level in the sense of like you have like a district which is people who practice that live kind of in your area and then you have regions where there's people from a lot of districts and all the way up to um, you know, territory and region and national, and then it's in a hundred over like 120 countries all over the mm -hmm. world. So it's um, it's got a lot of organization. I mean, it does. It's just like any big organization in that way. But and but it's very um, grassroots in its yeah organizational structure. It's not like uh -huh. um, yeah. it's not like when one central person makes all the decisions or anything like that yeah. but at the same time we do have um uh the current um leader of the SGI is Daisaku Okeda who's a Japanese um, Buddhist philosopher who is the third president well he he was the third president I think he's a retired president there's another president now but he's kind of who his particular writings have been particularly significant so people refer to him as sensei I forgot to put some on the back can you put a little yeah there? yeah he, people refer to him as sensei which means just means teacher like if any of you all have ever done like kenpo or anything kind of karate you know you'd call your teacher sensei so it's just japanese word for teacher or mm -hmm. mentor and people and mm -hmm. before him people referred to his teacher and his teacher's teacher also as sensei so what's going to, like, that's like the, the overarching organization. Um, so let's, let's say that, like, Boise wanted to have more people in the city that practiced um, this SGI-type Buddhism. How does a, you know, because I've heard a lot of stories about how people who practice this i've listened to that bootability podcast and heard your stories of best friends. podcast ever bootability so recommend okay sorry go ahead um but one thing i haven't heard a lot about is how 
how a community grows, you know, how, how it happens that a town starts with some people that practice, maybe log in remotely. How does it happen that, that like a district group forms and, and bonds and, and flourishes? How, what does that look like? Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like anything else. It's not yeah. different than anything else. It's just like, basically, it's very kind of word of mouth in the sense that, you know, somebody, maybe you mentioned to someone, oh, yeah, I practice this kind of Buddhism, and then he might invite them to come to an activity, like a chanting, which is like a meeting where people chant and encourage each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they if they practice for a while and decide that maybe they want to join the organization they can you know it's just um it's and then they you know and then so that's how i mean it's just like anything else i I love that about it it's just it seems so regular that it's this amazing combination of kind of exotic sort of mystical life transformation with totally normal regular people at the same time that is what <laughs> most attracted me uh-huh man and i started practicing this kind of buddhism when i was 23 and brace yourselves america i am 56 and freaking fabulous yeah just i said it she is <laughs> um no i i say that only to like be anti be non-ageist and to inspire the world to realize that 56 is not old. And neither is 57. I haven't been there yet, but I promise it won't be old. This We're at the river, so there's lots of fun sounds and people playing and yelling and fun things. But anyway, um, uh, so anyway, I started practicing when I was 23, and um, I had studied even before that. I'd studied a, a few other things. I'd tried other kinds of meditation. I'd actually tried other kinds of chanting, different things. And I had come to an awareness that it seemed like only people who kind of already had a goal for things like world peace or a goal for things like making the world a better place or or were willing to, like in the austere, austerity, austerity kinds of practices, were kind of like already willing to like give up all their stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, mm, well, most people can't give up all their stuff. And most people aren't going to, you know, you can't go, I always say, you can't go up to the homeless guy and say, dude, just you're too materialistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so I liked it that it wasn't anti-materialistic. Yeah. I liked that it was something that had a way to, it was this interesting way that when people did it they got benefit that's a big difference i would say between this buddhism and any other buddhism that i ran across i've run across is the idea of changing your life and changing your karma now instead of lifetime after lifetime or see this this is the part where that is the the big contrast that i guess i i can say this that in the in the Buddhist groups, in the meditation world of sitting, mindfulness meditation, there are not testimonial stories of people who... I mean, there are a few, but it is not characteristic of people that are drawn to the practice, that their desire to stay involved is the result of profound transformational experiences. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more from a sense of calm, community, um, a sense of just finding an alternative kind of spirituality yeah I, I think for this kind of buddhism like what your your life already knows what you need mm-hmm. and this practice helps your life to manifest what it needs so you don't tell someone like some people need to be more calm that's really true but some people need to be more energized mm-hmm. some people need to get more more goals some people need to chill out and not be so driven by success 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 all the time Mm -hmm. other people need to have the confidence to try something that they were afraid to try right Mm -hmm. so your life already knows what you need and this this that's the mystical part i don't know why it works but i have tried a lot a lot of things Mm -hmm. and i have to be honest this is what's worked the best Mm -hmm. i've worked I've, i've studied in Lakotas to probably basically, you know, um, white people version of 
of Lakota's who mm-hmm. medicine stuff, you know, probably totally, yeah. you know, I can't, won't mm-hmm. brag about that, that's for sure, probably kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, but, but also I've studied different kinds of Buddhism, mm-hmm. when, you know, I've, I can, I've done yeah. sitting practice, I've done. Well, here, here's a, a question for you, when, because I know you're, you're a counselor and you, it's not as if you can ethically say to people, you know, one of the best things that works for me is chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. That's right. just that's any not, more than if I was a Christian, it would be appropriate for me, see, for me to pray. try to make hell. You should just be a Christian. Yeah, you but, know, no, it's and ethics. yet at the same time, for you, this has been so helpful. And I'll bet you in the back of your head, in fact, I know you want to say just chant. Sometimes you want, well, you uh, want, not just, chant, not just, but, but hey, you know what's a really cool thing yeah. that really, really helps? Yeah, you want to like mention because you do reflect on your own personal experience. But I think there is a there's a convention, a social norm, and perhaps a professional ethic as well. Yeah. To to not bring. But this, yeah. This is what really started. This is why I decided at some point I wanted to do this. Exactly. This podcast was because I realized that because I do know a lot about a lot of different kinds of practices, even uh-huh. a lot of different forms of Buddhism. Yeah. And I noticed that I was more than willing to tell people about every other dang kind of Buddhism, uh-huh. Uh-huh. like Vipassana and Zen yeah. and secular mindfulness and yeah. every dang thing. And because, because, so I would, but I wouldn't tell them about Nam Horinga Kill. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, and then it started to see like, well, now this is just silly. <laughs> yes, right. Um, but so I thought this is like a way to kind of talk about it. Exactly. And I, not, yeah. yeah. That's why I was excited too, because sometimes I, I see and I've, as I've gotten to know you, recognize how chanting has been such an important part of your life and you know it can be beneficial and that the only way that other people can have benefit is if you have a chance to tell them about it but this this is the same kind of thing that i mean we can look at the analogy of we can go to the medical world where you know unless someone goes to a certain doctor with a certain problem they're they're not going to get a certain kind of recommendation or treatment there's a need also for people to present themselves as being receptive to to this you know right and and the thing about too about about chanting is it isn't like you just chant and all your problems are solved it's that when you chant your life lines up with solutions to your problem and also it helps your life condition to become like a high enough what we call a high life condition you know like a positive mental attitude and maybe some might even say like a high vibration aligning oneself they call it um being in rhythm with the mystic law that's what we call it in mm-hmm. SGI mm-hmm. and um and then so you're kind of in the right place at the right time with the right preparation and mm-hmm. so it makes things happen better mm-hmm. um but but at the same time, there's lots of members who chant and then they go see a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want extra help. Or certainly if they are ill, they go to the doctor. Yeah. But they might chant to get the best doctor under the best circumstance right. and not go bankrupt over the medical bills. Yeah. And that, that friend of <laughs> yours who we, who we met um, in Portland, who you knew from the SGI, was, was working on some, some mindfulness chants. Yeah, and she'd been practicing for... Like probably not mindfulness close to, chanting, but mindfulness meditation. Yeah, she and she's been practicing Nichiren Buddhism chanting mm-hmm. for like thirty years. Um, we practiced together for a long time when mm-hmm. I lived in Texas. Texas, and um, and she just at one point she's like, you know what? I really want to learn this uh, mindfulness sitting practice. So she's just adding that in to try it. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can't. I mean, that's like typically that the the order of events is people try the sitting meditation first and then later on they try mm-hmm. chanting but in this case she's like you know she's not doing mm-hmm. it instead of chanting but she's just going yeah let me see what this is all about mm-hmm. so it's not like you can't you know right right you can it's not it's not like a it's a very non-exclusionary mm-hmm. kind of practice mm-hmm. but because it's based one of the kind of famous sayings that SG, that we say in the SGI is Buddhism is common sense Meaning, which is sometimes funny because it is also sometimes seems kind of mystical in the mm-hmm. kind of way it makes things really synchronize. The syn- it really amps up the synchronicity in your life. Yeah. 
Well, you know, my experience when when I was chanting with you really regularly for a while and I was working on um, trying to lose some weight, um, also just chanting about our relationship going well, um, and I found my, my perspective shifting with regards to um, my weight and body image. For the first time, I started to see some of my challenges with weight as being less with just getting more exercise and managing my nutrition is having what is like considering the, the body image and the, the, the social sort of programming that affects perspectives. And then I kind of backed away from chanting a little bit. I kind of felt like, oh yeah, I got something out of that. And it was kind of uncomfortable. And so then I kind of, <laughs> I kind of felt like, okay, I learned something, got something out of that. I'm going to take a break from it for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your experience with people that start and stop and stick with it or never, or totally resist it? What, have you noticed any patterns with people about who sticks with it and who no, stops? It's, no, so it's so individual, random. right? And and there's no problem in yeah. that, you know, that you decided to take a break, even if you decide you don't want to do it ever again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of suspected that would not be the case. Mm-hmm. But even if it had, you know, mm-hmm. the purpose of chanting is to become happy and achieve your goals and mm-hmm. to make and to contribute to the world i would say and so people do that who don't chant yeah do you <laughs> do you see the therapeutic literature in the way that buddhist meditation has led to the mindfulness revolution do you in your crystal ball see ever science embracing the the mechanics of chanting's benefits or even trying to tease it apart do you see maybe that maybe so, so but yeah. maybe so but i think that the obstacles to that for SGI specifically would be that it isn't I mean while we don't like if you talk to like old timey like Japanese members if you call it a religion they'll say it's a philosophy Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there's like a sense of it's a philosophy not a religion but at the same time it is a religion I mean it has religious status as a as a Mm -hmm. you know religious organization and all that stuff i mean so it is a religion it is Mm -hmm. and i think when things are a religion then they then the study of their components is somewhat inhibited to to Mm -hmm. some degree i do think that the concept of prayer in general Mm -hmm. is being studied more and more but but one thing when we talk about prayer in 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 nature and buddhism i like to clarify too there's a lot of terms that mean something very different like most people in most religions when they talk about prayer they're talking Mm -hmm. about praying to a power outside themselves Mm -hmm. to sort of um give them help Mm -hmm. and when we talk about prayer in in Nietzsche and Buddhism, we're, really what we're talking about is we're honoring our own inherent Buddha nature and trying to activate it as much mm-hmm. as possible. So the prayer isn't to something outside yourself, but it's prayer in the sense of it is focused, intentional um, determination to change something in oneself. And mm-hmm. when you change something in yourself, your environment will re- reflect it differently. So some things that seem like, how the heck did that happen? Mm-hmm. And it, and as hard as it is to believe sometimes, it's because something in you changed. And so mm-hmm. your environment showed you a different reflection. But sometimes the changes are so like, what the what? I didn't see that mm-hmm. coming. Um, that you're like, I that couldn't have been me. But it, it from a Nietzsche and Buddhism perspective, it always is you. Yeah. Like it's you changed, so your environment showed you something different. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by prayer. It isn't out. It isn't set to something outside yourself. Yeah, I found that um, one of the criticisms from people uh, about Nietzsche and Buddhism is, is that that it has a, a materialistic perspective, where one mm. of the main things is to yes, you know if you need something or want something that you think will make your life better or easier it's okay even if it's you know not enlightenment not happiness even if it's just to you know get a's you know something like that and that is just as sacred or valuable or important or meaningful as the some i don't know trying to speak to some deep revered religious figure you know like Mm -hmm. invoking the divine spirit you know Mm -hmm. that it's 
that it's on a par with that almost. Right, know? right. Or or just and I think it's it's the idea of honoring that the deep that deep profound spirit that you're invoking is your own Buddha nature mm-hmm. too, right? It's not but um but in terms of the materialism argument, the thing about it kind of goes back to what I was said, you can't go to the homeless guy and say Hey, stop mm-hmm. being so materialistic, right? Why do, mm-hmm. you don't need you don't need a uh, you don't need a roof over your head. No, people in order just to function have to have certain needs met. Now, also, the cool thing about it is that sometimes people need to find out firsthand that material things aren't going to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like Jim Carrey has a funny quote, which is very true, and he says, "I wish everybody in the world could be rich and famous." So they would find out that that's not the answer, mm. right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to be rich and famous to figure this out, but it's also true that if you believe that success at your job is going to make you happy, um, then then it's important to find out that just the success isn't what makes you happy, but when you become happy and begin to develop naturally compassion you will also be successful at your job because people will be glad for your presence and mm-hmm. you'll be able to contribute. So it's like it's not a mm-hmm. one or the other. Mater- mm-hmm. um, the classic story um, I like to tell is about one of the, at the very first meeting I ever went to in San Francisco, in the Sunset District of San Francisco back in 1989. <laughs> um, there was a lady who gave an experience and she said that, she said, when I, I believe her name was Cindy. Shout out to Cindy. If, <laughs> she, she was a Chinese American woman. And uh, she was saying that um, when she um, first started chanting, she didn't care about world peace at all. She just mm-hmm. didn't care about it. She said, I wanted my skin to clear up and I wanted a car so I could get to work. Yeah. And um, so she started just chanting for her skin to clear up and for a car. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And as she started chanting and her life condition started to improve, like meaning she was more positive, she was kind of in the right place at the right time, mm-hmm. she was asked to be a part of one of the original retin-A um, uh, uh, test studies, you know, to see if retin-A works. Oh. <laughs> and it cleared up her skin. Yeah, yeah. And then because, and then her attitude at work as she was chanting, she started to feel happier and mm-hmm. better and she got a promotion at her work Uh and with the promotion she was able to buy a car Uh and she said so that was great I got my skin cleared up and I had a car but she said as I was chanting this way I became happier and I just started to truly feel happier and happier and I realized that I care if other people are happy and when I cared about other people were happy I realized that we would have world peace if more people were happy and then I started to care about world peace. Mm-hmm. So it's this beautiful, I just tear up and get a little teared up every time I tell that story because mm-hmm. it's so profound. Mm-hmm. If you wait for people to already care about world peace before they can make progress in their enlightenment, well, then we're screwed. <laughs> we mm-hmm. need to be able to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, if, and the natural, innate Buddha nature in everyone desires happiness and peace for the world. And so as we chant for whatever the mm-hmm. reason, that natural desire for peace just comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not uncommon for cynical individuals when they observe someone who's praying for world peace or who's an advocate for social justice Um, and in the midst of these noble efforts that an individual is making in these regards they they may have aspects of their life that bring them a lot of stress that are perhaps barriers to them really being involved in in that what you might call a a larger mission or a Mm -hmm. a purpose so that you know putting your your efforts into uh, a loftier cause so to speak before um, maybe facing some things that are more immediate kind of makes it more difficult to to really um, work towards that cause you know yeah exactly and like getting you mentioned like getting good grades well if you get good grades 
then you can perhaps get a good career that will, and you, with that good career, you can help people. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, I notice when I hear people talking about their goals, like somebody says, you know, I've been chanting to get into law school and that's what I'm working on is to get into law school because I want to fight for immigration rights mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like that people naturally, no one tells you, you have to do that in the SGA. They don't tell you what to chant for it, It's trusting mm-hmm. that your life knows what you need. So if somebody mm-hmm. comes in and says, I'm chanting for world peace, everyone says, cool. Someone else says, I'm chanting for a designer purse. They say, cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, <laughs> mm-hmm. because, and I'll say for myself, when I first started chanting, one of the main prayers that I was having, because I was already interested in the idea of world peace, and I started chanting right off the bat for world peace. And one of the things that immediately happened after I was chanting sincerely for world peace for a few, just even a few days, I suddenly realized that I wasn't even at that time getting along with my family. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I realized that in my mind, world peace was something that happens somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that my actions right now with the people I know personally was the essence of world peace. It was the essential piece a uh, part of that piece mm-hmm. and so then I made I made took actions to make to heal relationships that I had in my own personal life mm-hmm. and um, so that's a good example so even if you start with world peace it doesn't mean you're more enlightened than the person who really wants a designer purse mm-hmm. you know maybe they really want a designer purse because the their inner child always wish they could have a beautiful purse and this is going to help them to feel better about themselves yeah. and you right. know it, yeah. and, you know it's it's not there's it's like very non-judgmental in that way yep. it's like truly non-judgmental mm-hmm. not fake non-judgmental mm-hmm. like i feel like so many things are like people act like they're non-judgmental but my favorite saying of people like that is like I just hate people who are judgmental. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? It's like uh-huh. it's like judgmental of judgmental, and and um and the truth is that you know people have good reasons, and you know a designer purse is a harmless desire, <laughs> uh-huh. but it will very quickly become a sh- a person on their own will realize, oh, this isn't as great as I thought, you know, mm-hmm. and then they might, but they might get confidence. Wow, you know, mm-hmm. I chanted and mystically I got this designer purse. Mm-hmm. What else could I chant for? Maybe I could chant for my father's health. Maybe I could chant for mm-hmm. my neighbor and I to get along better, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's my spiel about Buddhism. And so, Sokagakai International, sgiusa.org. If you want to know more about it, you can call them. They'll tell you where you could go to a meeting in your neighborhood if you'd like to. And also, I really, like I said, I like that podcast, Bootability. Um, uh, it interviews different all, all, m- members from all walks of life about their experiences. And another thing, for those of you who, in terms of, like, one of the things about, it's obviously, it's the most diverse um, Buddhist organization in the world. It has people from every race, every gender orientation, every, 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 everything. (laughs) And and also, um, for those of you who are, have been, in religious organizations that were not supportive of LGBTQ plus rights. The SGI is on the absolute forefront. It's commonplace for people to, you know, um, normalize pronouns and um, it's just a really, it, it treats each human being with the dignity of a Buddha exactly as they are. It's beautiful. Well, I think that's a, a good spot for us to wind up this segment along the river. Yeah, it's pretty fun out right here on the river. Thank you for coming out to the river with me, Joshi. I love you. I love you too, hon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.